0: When listening to the Dhamma of Lumpo or other forest Ajans in Thailand, when they gave talks, they rarely gave long explanations of the suttas and the Vinaya, the Pariyati Dhamma. They may, might make brief references and quotes from the scriptures. And then often talk in more ordinary terms, ordinary language about the practice based on their experience. But that doesn't mean to say that what they taught was out of line with the scriptures, the texts. They would emphasize the importance of Bhavana, the cultivation of body, speech and mind or training body, speech and mind and cultivation of the path uh, in very practical terms. So we have the phrase, Puru, and the one who knows, the fav- favorite of many teachers, this quality of mindfulness, and knowing or recollecting in the present moment. But it's not a Abstract quality, it's a quality uh, that is part of a a whole system of training. So practicing, developing sati, mindfulness, or the one who knows is practiced uh, together with other qualities and for a purpose. So, sati is practiced together with sampajanya, clear awareness, all round knowing. Sati is practiced uh, directed to an object. It could be the breath, could be the body, could be to feelings, state of mind, could be to our sila. Recollecting sila. This quality, the one who knows, is, is the practice of a number of different factors of the path arising together and developing together. The development of wisdom as well. Lampo Buddha explanation of say the development of sati the one who knows is is to know your duty at any moment in time what is the duty or your duty right now that could be sati directed to a job of work to know what job of work you're doing could be directed to your mental state to know your mental state whether it's wholesome or unwholesome or directed to your precept to know whether you're keeping a precept or following the Vinaya or not so many of their explanations would be expounding on this and weaving together a picture or creating an image so you can see that mindfulness is not or sati is not just a Isolated quality we develop. It's developed in association with other path factors. And it serves its function. But it's a quality that the Buddha praised that It's always useful, always beneficial. And it's like at the center of our practice sometimes compared to the the chairman of the board or the prime minister or the leader of a group because it directs the other qualities and makes one mindful of what qualities are needed at any one moment, what's important at any one moment in the practice. Over and over again our teachers Encourages us to develop sati, present moment awareness. A lot of emphasis is placed on maintaining your sati, your mindfulness in the present moment, maintaining your awareness of what is happening right now. Not letting your mind <coughs> get lost in the past, Neither lost with delight or aversion in the past. Neither being too concerned and stuck in thinking about the future. (coughs) Learning the skill of maintaining present moment awareness, sati. This is what brings an evenness to our mind, state of mind and our practice. As we look at our life, our world, what happens to us as human beings, obviously many unpredictable experiences come our way that are far beyond our control. (coughs) But what we can control is how we use our mind and the qualities that we bring up. It's where ultimate peace lies, it's where ultimate wisdom lies, bringing the mind to the present moment so that we can learn and observe from our experience as it is. It's obviously a wholesome quality, it's kusala dhamma. and rises in association with other wholesome dhammas. So it is almost like a team, part of a team, but it tends to be the leader. It brings up other wholesome qualities when you develop mindfulness. What supports it most of all, probably, is wisdom. So of course, we all know the stories about those who have mindfulness but are misusing their mindfulness, sati, to say, steal something or kill something by stalking it. And we can use mindfulness in association with a lack of wisdom, in association with the mental defilements. But right mindfulness is, is practiced with the other factors of the path, developed, cultivated, together. It makes the mind strong and firm and steady. And it's a skill that over time we become aware of, the level of our sati at any one time. Not just the most refined levels of sati as we're sitting or walking meditation. But just generally through our day, we're becoming more aware of our state of mind and how in control we are or out of control we are. Periods of formal meditation highlight this. So, you notice when mindfulness is not well developed, the mind has been straying a lot for a period of time and then you come to sit or walk meditation, the effects of that lack of mindfulness over a period of time become very obvious. And it's frustrating. But if we're honest, we have to look back and see what well, it's frustrating because we're now trying to restrain the mind and establish the one who knows where previously we weren't. So there's no one to blame for this and no one to really take out our frustration on other than just to realize what has happened. As we practice more, then we understand the value of maintaining sati in all postures, all activities. As one teacher said, to the point where, whether you're sitting meditation or walking, around doing an activity, whatever your posture, whatever the time of day, the activity, your level of sati doesn't change. But that requires a great sense of vigilance and effort. Right effort is the effort to establish sati at any one moment. So understanding that also a function of wisdom seeing the role of sati and the importance of it and being willing to dedicate effort towards developing bringing up and maintaining more sati we have many Practices we do, very simple ones that we overlook probably because of the repetitive nature of them, but simple practices that Nompochara encouraged, like to bring up just sati in daily life, so to count the number of steps you take from one building to another, say from your kuti to the sala yet familiar with the, the pathway that you walk, how many steps does it normally take on, a, on different days or different times of the day? Does that vary? Do we take less or more steps? Going the same route, sometimes uh, the span of our steps changes according to our, how we feel or the time of day. You eat your food, how many mouthfuls of f- food do you eat? one of the values of eating in a bowl once a day is that you can really get to know how much food you eat in terms of how many mouthfuls of food. These simple practices require sati to know from moment to moment to keep count, not to lose track of that. Or sitting meditation, how many breaths go in and out, count counting to ten, or in one minute, how many breaths you have. It's this refinement of training, using our time in the monastery to it, to the utmost, where <coughs> we might see results, see a progress, a development in our level of sati. Often we see meditation progress in terms of being able to attain a state, or have some special, special blissful experience, but probably more useful is just how well do we maintain sati through the different experiences we have. You learn what takes away sati. So. A lot of socializing takes away sati. A lot of sleep, indulgence in uh, entertainments and pleasure seeking, however simple, tends to take away sati. Daydreaming, fantasizing, takes it takes us away from the present moment, makes us lose sight of our meditation object, who we are, where we are, what we're doing. <clears throat> Different defilements, have more power than sati, often during the course of our practice, we'll notice that certain defilements are strong. There's nothing more distracting, say, than the sight of an attractive woman, or even just the memory of that. The nature of defilement, whether it's rooted in greed, anger, or delusion, is intoxicating, takes over the mind. As you develop more sati then, this becomes apparent. You see how some certain defilements seem to grip the mind, weaken your resolve, weaken your sati, and then it's like an alien force has taken over your mind for a while, till they've run their course. And they kind of drop you. It's like the defilement uses you and then just drops you when it's had its bit of indulgence, whether it's a mood of attraction or aversion, or just confusion. Once it passes, it's like you're stuck there having been used by the defilement. Sati had disappeared, wisdom disappeared. <clears throat> But over time, repeated practice, you you gain some skill in maintaining sati, even when bombarded by temptation or in different situations that are encouraging you to lose your sati and indulge in a mental state or a particular course of action or behavior that is coming from defilement. Over time, you can maintain sati better and this is where a lot of the refined practice that we do lies in just maintaining sati in different situations, not always in extreme challenging situations, often it's very ordinary situations. We also lose our sati, drift off into dullness or confusion, distraction. So you keep practicing The level of sati improves and then you notice where you lose sati, where the defilement takes over. As you get better, maybe even you can predict it. So at the same time, you also have to develop that sense of resolve that you don't want to lose your sati. You're starting to value, give a value to the the mind that has sati. That gives rise to effort and determination and wisdom, learning how to maintain sati. What are the threats, the difficulties and obstacles, and what supports maintaining sati. This is why we live in the forest. We have a more secluded lifestyle, to reduce the amount of distractions, but still with dealing with our own mind. You can never escape from your own mind. But you minimize some of the distractions, that gives you a head start in training your mind. Still we have to come back to developing effort. This is why we invest the time in sitting, walking regularly, early morning, late at night, doesn't matter. If you, once you understand that sati is a wholesome dhamma, beneficial dhamma that's vital for developing the practice, then you can see every moment of sati arising, sama sati is a little victory, it's a little moment of merit or wholesome dhamma arising. Even if it's just one isolated moment of mindfulness and then the mind slips back into some mood, negative mood, whatever, The more you value the sati, the more you're willing to train, to develop it and maintain it. It's become something worthwhile, valuable to you. Which is important because that shapes your attitude to the practice. You see that it is worthwhile walking up and down on a Jonggrom path, or sitting meditation when you'd rather do something else. Or just being mindful and restrained in a situation where you're tempted to lose it. You could say that this is also an aspect of our faith, the satdha. We see the potential and the value of developing the path, and particularly developing sati. So we're willing to commit to it more. So as we practice late at night, just that, Continued effort to re-establish wakefulness. However tiresome it can seem, almost almost seems fruitless, but if you understand the value of sati and particularly the conditioning effect of it, that skillful effort to bring up sati once is conditioning more moments of mindfulness further down the line eventually they join up. As Lumpur used to teach him, those moments of mindfulness, like the drips from the tap, gradually join together to become a continuous stream. Once you've done it once, then you're willing to keep trying. You also, maybe through experience in the practice, you become more to appreciate the peace and relief of the mind when sati is established. And you have to have that in your mind, say, as a goal. We all know what a mind, without mindfulness is like, without sati, the confusion, the different moods that seem to rule the mind when we have no mindfulness. We become down, we get too excited, too attached. So we build a picture of those times where we've managed to establish sati in the past and drop something that was bothering us. Now say if you manage to drop sleepiness on a, in the middle of a late night slip and your mind becomes calm and clear for a while, that sense of brightness and relief, you remember that to give you more inspiration to practice again further. Or you've been very angry and you manage managed to establish sati and see that mind state as impermanent as you establish mindfulness on a wholesome object and let go of the anger. You can remember that relief and that clarity as you drop it. If you've dropped it in the past, you can drop it again. Let it go in the past, let it go again. So when the, the teachers say, develop sati, no. the one who knows, really they're also pointing to a whole array of other wholesome dhammas. The other indriya, you say you could say, sata, viriya, samati, panya, with sati at the center. And there's so many ways you can look at it, right? Mm. Like, The arising of sati illuminates the mind, brightens the mind and allows wisdom to function allows the mind to see the true nature of experience, of phenomena to see a thought, a mental formation as just a mental formation that arises passes, or to know a feeling arise and pass away as temporary as not self it illuminates the mind, it's allows the mind to learn from experience so it's like lighting up a candle in the dark or a torch or turning the light on where you might have been fumbling around before now you can walk with more confidence because of the light mindfulness does that and allows wisdom to see clearly the way things are or another way they talk about it is the cleansing effect as human beings, this body is, gets tired, it gets sweaty, gets dirty, so it smells. So, even though occasionally it's a nice indulgence to be in the forest where you're not too bothered about how, we, how you smell, generally living together as human beings, we have to bathe frequently, brush our teeth, and clean ourselves just to be, so we don't offend other people. They actually feel good when you wash, when you've been dirty or sweaty. You get that sense of refreshment, cleansing of the body. Sati has the same effect on the mind. It's a meritorious dhamma, a wholesome dhamma, cleanses the mind. As sati arises, different defilements rooted in greed, anger, delusion fade away. So you feel good mentally. Get a sense of mental well-being when sati is established. Often you hear people say, I can't meditate because I've got no mindfulness, I don't have the barami I can't do it, so I can't meditate. But of course, if you stop and think about that, really that's the very time you should me- meditate, to put effort into establishing sati. Say you <coughs> got angry with someone else, you know, have a difference of opinion, you're dissatisfied with their behavior in some way, that's the very time to go off and sit or walk meditation until you've established mindfulness and cleared your mind, cleansed your mind of that defilement. It's obviously the very hardest time to do it because the defilement is overwhelming you, but it's, that's the, the most valuable time to do meditation. When you're dirty, is the time to clean. When your mind is sullied or blemished, that's the time to clean it up, it's the time to bring up sati. So it has a cleansing effect, it has the effect of extinguishing, like water extinguishes a fire. We know the Buddha described the Kalesas like fires greed, anger delusion, their fires. Dosakati rakati. They heat the mind up, burn up our peace and our happiness. But as you establish mindfulness, it's like the firefighter pouring water on the fire. It extinguishes the fire, cools it down. The mind returns to peace. When we talk about letting go, you're not actually really letting go of anger. What you're doing is bringing up mindfulness and the mind will no longer grasp at the aramana, the object of anger. If you look at it on a more refined level, you don't actually have to do anything with anger You simply have to establish mindfulness and have enough wisdom and clarity not to take up anger because you see it as painful, as suffering, as as hot, as, as a fire. Same with lust, same with confusion and delusion. When mindfulness is established, the mind just doesn't take them up. Yeah, the conditions, the causes may be there for the mind to drop into greed, anger, and delusion, but it doesn't take them up because of the presence of mindfulness. So it extinguishes the fire. It doesn't add further fuel to the fire as long as sati mindfulness is maintained. because we haven't practiced mindfulness in the past or only to a very basic level as human beings then of course to train the mind in this is very frustrating frustration leads to tiredness, impatience, restlessness because we have to work so hard to establish sati or maintain it so we do tend to give up to seek distractions, seek or to do something else, to follow the kilesas. <clears throat> so we also have to use a lot of wisdom, reflect on on our mental experience, what's going on, to really teach the mind to see that every time you give up the establishing of sati and follow the kilesa, you're going towards more suffering. The fire is getting hotter again. Because of course we can always follow desires. We have that choice, that pathway available to us. But as we establish a mindfulness sati and wisdom, then more and more the mind knows it's hopeless. It's only leading to more suffering. In the end, it has to be a practice of personal responsibility as well. Others around us do support the arising of these wholesome factors, the arising of sati, the arising of paññā, but only to a limited extent. Nobody can force you to be mindful, force you to see the truth. In the end, it has to come through our own efforts. So maybe I'll just give you these words of encouragement tonight and we can carry on practicing and dedicate the practice to the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha.